Welcome to For Something Greater. I am Dominic Hawley, your host, and I am so happy you are here today. This is a podcast where we dig deep into what it takes to pursue your dreams, create an impact, and be a world changer. We get real, honest, and vulnerable. We dig into the challenges, the roller coasters, the triumphs, and everything in between. So grab your coffee or your green drink, and let's dig into today's episode. Welcome to this episode. I'm so, so happy to be able to share this one with you. This one's with Isabel Stig, and she's an incredible friend of mine and holds a very special place in my heart. I sat down with her and we talked about her journey in starting Little by Little, which is an organization she founded that employs mothers in Haiti so that they're enabled and empowered to be able to provide for their children rather than turning to unfortunately, take their children to orphanages. And her story is an incredible one. She's a beautiful mother of 10 children, six which are adopted. And their adoption story in and of itself is a powerful one. And so this episode, we dig into really what it takes and what it took for her to be able to start this, continue. And we dig into so many things that most people would be like, you have all the reason in the world not to start something that would make a difference. And we talk about it, we get real, and I'm so excited to be able to share it with you. If you've ever had something that you wanted to do and felt that you didn't have time or you know, you had a lot of circumstances in your way, or you're a mother and you don't feel like you have the ability to listen in on this podcast. I promise you it will really just feed your soul. Isabel is an amazing, very humble woman, and I'm so privileged to be able to have her on here and share her story with you. So buckle in, sit down with your cup of coffee or your tea, and let's talk with Isabel. Isabel, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited for today. Uh, to dig in and hear a little bit about Little by Little and the journey you've been on. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm excited. <laughs> um, so why don't we start with what is Little by Little and what it does. Okay, so Little by Li- Little is an economic empowerment project geared towards parents who have tried to give their kids up at the orphanage in Haiti. It's it's based in Haiti. Uh, to give their kids up at the orphanage simply due to poverty. So these parents in Haiti will, and when you say give up their kids, what, what does that look like? What does that mean? Uh, it means they've gone to the orphanage and asked the orphanage to take their children like in, into their care. Usually it is permanent um, in Haiti. When, ch- when, pe- when parents are giving their children to the orphanage, it's very rare that they get them back. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's dig into that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Parents, is it mainly the mothers? Mainly mothers. Yeah. Okay. But sometimes fathers, too, if they're widow- widowers. Okay. So parents in Haiti, due to severe economic challenges, right. place their children in orphanage care mm-hmm. permanently. Mm-hmm. So how did you first hear about that and kind of give me that beginning story? So I had gone on a mission trip to Haiti um, 
many years ago. Uh, first trip was in 2009. And um, then at the, on that trip, I was able to meet children that we were sponsoring and kind of fell in love with Haiti and the people. So um, my daughter and I had gone back in 2010 and we got caught in the earthquake that had happened in Haiti mm-hmm. in 2010. And it just kind of magnified the desire to do something in Haiti because we had seen what Haiti was like before the earthquake. Yeah. And it was like the people we had gotten to know had lost their nothing. You know, like they didn't have much to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we continued to go back and just help out at the orphanage that the church was connected with that okay. we had traveled down with. And after visiting a few times and getting to know the children, um, they would start talking about their family. And they would say, my mom or my dad in the village or my sister in the village. And so I would ask them, I'd say, oh, you have a mom or you have a dad? And they would say, yeah. And I came to realize that 100% of the kids in this specific orphanage had parents in the village. And that just blew me away i i just assumed that being an orphan in an orphanage meant you had no parents yeah um so that led me to educate myself on you know the orphan crisis worldwide orphan crisis you know where you come across numbers like uh, 143 million and you know so educating myself in that um I came across numbers like, oh, well, 80% of kids in orphanages are not orphans. They're there due to poverty. And this is a, actually a worldwide problem, not just a Haiti problem. Mm. Um, and then after the earthquake, of course, uh, I saw lots of lots of aid coming in to help Haiti. But then I also saw the damaging effects of the aid. Mm. So, you know, all the excess rice coming in as donations was putting the rice farmers out of business. You know, all the peanut butter people were sending in for protein was putting the local peanut farmers out of business. Um, So did you see that when you were down there during the hurricane or you came back after the hurricane and just kind of kept in contact with what was happening? It was just the after effects. Like, so going back after the earthquake. How soon did you go back after the earthquake? Um, So January, February. I think I was back in March. So and then was the earthquake? Right. And you went back in March? I believe I was back in March, and then I was back in May. I went back quite a few times uh, after the earthquake because we had done – actually, that was kind of my first um, taste at kind of fundraising and a project in Haiti because I started something called the Tent Project. Really? Because uh, a lot of people have lost their homes. Okay. And so um, people were just sleeping outside. So I had done a fundraiser to um, – purchase 13 person four season tents through Eureka. Eureka had given us okay. a kind of their cost price on a, on four season tents to send to Haiti just really? for emergency shelter. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, so hold on actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even gone very far. No. So okay, so 2009, you mm-hmm. went down with your daughter. Yeah. And you did that through your church. Right. Okay. And then 2010, you went back in January. Did you yeah. do that through your church again? Yes. Okay. And then when you back, went back in March, did you go by yourself? Or was that another trip organized through the church? That was actually, I went by myself because um, my Haitian son, I guess you say, he calls me mom, uh, was getting married. And okay. he wanted me to give him away. really yes so that's it's like pretty abnormal that most people 
who've only visited a country twice, and your experience when the hurricane happened mm-hmm. was quite traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. And then to go back independently, was it just you who went back? Uh, um, with a couple of friends. With a couple of friends. Yeah. It's still, like, not very normal to go back mm-hmm. independently. No, probably not. <laughs> I just wanted to highlight that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so for you, is that just like, this is what I'm going to do? It just didn't occur to you? that it was, What was the thought process? Had you already um, connected with, like, people there to the extent that it was just such a normal, like, your thing to go back? Yeah, like, we connected with, with people for sure, like, the first year. And um, and then, again, made those connections the second year and kept those connections going. Yeah, and there was just I, – I don't even know what it was. I think people who, who go to Haiti and get connected to Haiti kind of get it. Like, it just – I don't know. You just get super connected and want to be in – want to do something. Want to do something. Yeah. So I think, that, I think that's true, and I think <laughs> there's a very unique – like, mm-hmm. there's not too many people – who would do kind of what you did, mm-hmm. specifically as we get into a little by little story. Right. So had you done any significant fundraising like that tent project before? Or No. no. Okay. So what, what and and part of that trip too was to um, was part of the tent project as well because we were trying to figure out who needed tents and how many tents were needed and stuff like oh, that too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And then a huge thing that we haven't dug into is, so you're involved in that, Mm -hmm. but also with your family life, your family life is very unique and special, Mm -hmm. and which is, I think, also an important piece of your story of why you created Little by Little. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about, I don't even know how to describe like your family. (laughs) Well, me and my husband, um, we have four biological children and after um my last daughter was born we we could no longer have any more children biologically and um but we had always had our mindset on having a big family um, but we didn't really know a whole lot about adoption and and fostering locally Mm -hmm. we just really didn't and honestly, it was just an ad in the paper at the time. Oh. I was just looking through the paper, and the local CAS had an ad in the paper saying adoptive families wanted. And honestly, had that ad not been in the paper, I might not have even thought about it. I just really? didn't really know about the need. I just was never in a circle or environment that you just kind of I just never knew about it. Oh. Just never knew about the need. So we went to a info session of the Children's Aid Society, and they kind of just talked about kids in care and how they needed adoptive homes and so my husband and I it was pretty much right away just kind of felt led to like this is we where we felt God wanted us um how to grow our family Hmm. um so we kind of went to the CAS and we said well what is your need because we've already had four babies so I didn't feel like I needed a baby yeah um and I knew there was lots of people out there who probably would really appreciate a baby yeah so uh, they said their need was for teenagers and sibling groups. And again, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, sibling groups. They're like, yeah, we don't have homes for sibling groups. We usually have to separate families. Mm-hmm. And that just broke my heart right there. I just thought, oh, my yeah. gosh, these kids are already going through a crisis. And now they're getting separated from each other. Yeah. So if there's a chance that they can stay together, at least that's something they can have. 
mm-hmm. and they can hold on to, you know, in this traumatic event is they can be yeah. together. So um, my husband and I had, you know, talked about it and prayed about it, and we felt that God was calling us to adopt sibling groups mm. through uh, through foster care. So, yeah, that's what we ended up doing, and uh, it was a long journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but many, many years later, um, we've adopted two sibling groups through the Children's Aid, uh, two sibling groups of three. Mm-hmm. So we have ten children now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's really incredible. So in 2009, mm-hmm. how many children did you have? On our first trip, we had our three boys. Oh, did you? Eh? Yes, because uh, our youngest was just put into our care as an infant, which is why I didn't think I was going to go on the trip. Um, our daughter wanted to go on the trip. It was her that wanted to go. I, I didn't even have a desire to go to Haiti, actually. Really? It wasn't me that wanted to go on a mission trip. It was our oldest daughter. Oh, okay. um, but she was 14 at the time, and I Googled Haiti, and the travel <laughs> advisory was like, don't go. So I was like, oh, gosh, I guess I have to go with her. So, I love um, you were like, oh, clearly I need to go. Yeah. Most people would be like, no, you're not going. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't want to discourage her from doing something like that, right? So anyway. Um, <laughs> All, everything worked out, and I was able to get a friend who is a certified home foster parent to come watch the kids. Because it's like you can't just get anybody to watch your yeah. kids. And it was complicated, so I didn't think it would happen. But, you know, God kind of provided the right people, the right timing, and I was able to go. So, and, and you didn't have a set of three siblings, the additional, like? No, just the one, the first three. <laughs> <laughs> so there's only... Seven kids. <laughs> there was only seven kids. And how old were the three boys at the time? They were uh, one, two, and newborn, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so this is really good to, like, pause. So, <laughs> so I think there's a lot of reasons that most people would be like, you know, fundraising for a tent project or going back to Haiti to do mm-hmm. all of this really doesn't make sense right now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think there's a lot of things that it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And for you, that's not what happened. No, I guess not. And, like, <laughs> and I know you pretty well. But, like, it's still, I think when, mo- like, I know when I hear it and then most people hear it, it's like, like, there's a lot of reasons mm-hmm. why. And, like, really good reasons mm-hmm. why most, like, you most people will not do what you do. Mm-hmm. So back in like 2010, let's say at the March, when you're going back for the March um, trip and you're fundraising, did it just, what I'm curious about is like, does it just not cross your mind? Is like, this is probably like, I have a lot going on in my family. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, it just, everything just kind of came together for it to happen. It's just one of those things where it's like, you feel the desire to do it, you lift it up in prayer, and, you know, God opens the door, and so you walk through it, like, okay, so, <laughs> um, and sometimes that doesn't make sense to a lot of people, right? I think, so I think in, like, I think that's, I know that's true, mm-hmm. and, what I'm curious about, and I'm really going to, like, push back here, is, mm-hmm. like, 
that can also happen to a lot of other people Mm -hmm. and they don't walk through or they don't like take action Mm -hmm. and like you're a really relaxed wouldn't be the word but not a lot really like affects you right right with having 10 kids Mm -hmm. running little by little and you're like you know the two family groups that you adopted mm-hmm. all have their like individual learning like developmental challenges and stuff yep. like that mm-hmm. so for you is it like does it just not cross your mind it's like oh this is something i can do i'm just going to do it or is it something you're like this is a bad idea or like this is not probably the best idea like there's something else because there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who have similar experiences and opportunities like you mm-hmm. and don't create what you've done. Gee, I, that's a good question. I um, I don't know that I really have the answer. I feel like when the desire and the idea comes to do something, um. I usually sit on it for a bit and I pray about it. And usually there's there's things that have to happen in order for something yeah, to okay, work. Yeah, okay, so what are some of right? Like for me to go in the first place, um, I needed proper childcare for my kids. Yeah. Right? Because my husband worked. Yeah. Um, and it needed to be someone who is a foster parent. Um, we homeschooled our kids, mm-hmm. so like they were home all day. It had to be someone who was willing to kind of like be with my kids. All That's day. not easy yeah. to find. So really, it is like a matter of like answered prayers. So it was, was kind of just lifting those things up to the Lord. That you know, if there's someone who can watch my kids, that of course I want to watch my kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, legally can watch you know my kids in care who were still foster kids at the time um you know if all those boxes kind of get checked for me then it's like I guess the door's open and I can go and the rate the funds were raised for me to go so um then you go just do it I think that's probably. I think that's probably the bigger thing. It's like there's a huge, I think, under piece of what you do is like, like if the dots seem to connect, then you might as well at least try to do it. Right. Oh, you got to try. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it's interesting because I watched dynamic between you and your husband. And Greg, like, we're very different, very, very different. (laughs) And, like, I think you're more on a very, like, I I wouldn't have picked this up, like, had I not known you as well as I do, but you have a very, like, let's just try attitude, right? Right. And I think most people also don't have that attitude. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, here's a reason why it's not going to work, and here's a reason why it's not going to work, and like, all this stuff. And I think I'm okay at failing too. Whereas, and I think that's a big deal too. It's like, cause you have to try and if it doesn't work, then it's like, okay, we know now that doesn't work. So now we can try something different. So yeah, that's actually so great. So have you always been like that? Like where, where's your comfort level with failing come from? Um, you ask hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thought from <every> questions. <laughs> 
Um, I don't really know. I feel like it, it all really, again, comes back to to faith, you know, again, because I feel like I feel like if I'm doing something truly that God has called me to do, that whether it's a failure or whether it's a success, that he's called me to do it. So there's some good or some learning in it for me or whoever's involved, you know, in it, whether I see it or not, you know? So yeah, I have that kind of like, well, this is because there's definitely been things that I've moved forward on and they didn't turn out the way I expected. And then you question yourself and say, oh, was I really supposed to do that? But then many years down the road, things turned out. So I think so what's I... what's an example of something you tried that didn't work out the way you Well, did? actually, I can talk about our journey with fostering and adopting. Because okay. we, we really thought that when we, we entered it, we thought we, we wanted to adopt. That was um, our goal. And we felt God was calling us to adopt through foster care. And so our first placement was um, a six-month-old baby. And we had him... I think it was for close to a year and it was supposed to be a for sure placement that we were supposed to Mm. adopt this little boy and um the grandparents changed their mind you know near the end and and they wanted to raise him and so that was heartbreaking for all of us because you know we really thought that we were going to adopt him yeah and um and that you know that was one of those situations where it's like oh at the end it's like oh well this is what we thought we're supposed to do and we sat down with our kids after and they were very positive and they're like oh so when are the next kids coming so mm. we're like okay so um we kind of had to just move on and then we had a sibling group of four children come and again they came from the grandparents who had said we you know we, we tried it we can't do it we're looking for an open home an open adoptive mm. home that will allow us to still be grandparents and we were fine with that and they stayed with us again probably seven eight months yeah. Um, and it was supposed to be like a for sure kind of easy thing. And they changed their mind as soon as court was coming up. Really? And so again, we thought, oh, we really thought this was what God was calling us to, mm. you know? And um, again, we sat down with our kids and our hearts were kind of crushed. And we thought maybe we just weren't hearing God's call correctly. And, um, but our kids were like, oh, when are the next kids coming? You know, like they wanted to keep keep going. They pushed us forward. So, and that's when our boys came, right? So, and we did end up adopting our three boys. Yeah. So, you know why the other placements didn't work out? We don't have answers for that. But we learned so much in those first two placements. Mm-hmm. And I think the time um, that we gained in those first two placements um, just in our maturity, our growth, our marriage, all those things, um, just having kids in care and just just learning different things, right? Like kids who, who come from our places and trauma and things mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. um, definitely was a benefit, you know, to the kids we have now. And would you, so, would you say that if you didn't have your kids saying, okay, like who's coming next, it was, if it had just been you and Greg, your husband... Because that would have been heartbreaking, like yeah, especially for the first one. It's like you yeah. were sure you had it for you had that child for a year. You thought it was going to be adopted. Mm-hmm. It didn't. 
it would have like would have been heartbreaking. Yeah. If it had just been you and Greg, do you think you would have gone back as fast as you did? Not gone back at all? Yeah, I really don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, because I think to have that happen twice, mm-hmm. right, is really, it would be really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And then to go back and do it again. Yeah. It really takes, because I think the tendency is to protect your heart at that point. Right. It's like, I don't want to do this mm-hmm. again yep. for, and like have a chance of it mm-hmm. not working out again. Yeah. Because you do everything. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And I think that's probably also comes to anything you've done with Little by Little and anything around that is like um, being okay with failing or like being heartbroken or being hurt and like going and trying it again. Mm -hmm. I think that's something like I know I personally get stopped often. It's like... That didn't work out, like, yeah. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But it, like, seems, and what I'm hearing is, like, you try something, it didn't work out, and eventually you go and try it again. And it, I think with you, you just do it sooner than most people. hmm Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I think it's, like, you also... Life I, is short. <laughs> see, you say these things just, like, so, like, oh, whatever. But, uh, so... Okay, so let's get into little by little, because I'm going to ask okay. a question from what we just talked about with failing, but I want to reference it to little by little. Okay, so you go back, you do the tech pro- project, the fundraiser, and then and then what happened? Um, so I just, that was great. It was kind of crazy trying to get tents to Haiti, and that was an adventure on its own. Um, but then I just kept going back and helping with the orphanage, and that's kind of when I learned about the whole orphan crisis yeah um so yeah it was one trip in particular when I was at the orphanage and there was um a mom who had dropped off her little boy at the orphanage and he he could not be consoled like they both came in very malnourished and sick Mm. um he didn't care that the orphanage had clean water and food and education and health care. Yeah. You know, he just wanted his mom. Mm. And there was no system in place to help them together as a family unit. If, um, if he needed help, then he needed to be admitted to the orphanage. Mm. So it just seems so unjust. How um, old was the boy? He was probably about a, maybe not even a year old. Wow. Yeah, maybe around a year old. Mm. Remember, he was standing at the picnic table, um, but still very wobbly. So, yeah. Yeah, and he was, nobody could console him the whole week I was there. The whole week. He just wanted his mom. Wow. And it's just, this is not right. There needs to be something in place that can help a mom just support her child. To kind of give a visual, it's like you have the orphanage, and then how far away would the mother have been living? Um, she would have been in the village or a surrounding village. She wouldn't have come that far, really. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was there was um there was another mom who had left her twins at the orphanage as well, and 
and you know there was some American missionaries who were living at the orphanage and they kind of scoop up the kids and dress them up and put little bows in their hair and and stuff like that and it was just like I you know I like, couldn't you give the mom that dress and mm. allow the mom to do that with her child and mm. you know like um and not trying to be judgmental like they were just they were just trying to serve as well but it's just um we just need to see we just need to see differently you and know was like that they, the first time you saw some you saw it differently yeah. It had been kind of like, you've been starting to do your research and reading and all of that. Yeah. And then you started seeing well, what, how things potentially could be done differently. Right. And so when was that? When was that experience with the little boy? Which trip was that? Um, oh, I'm not sure. That would have been still in the year, um, like probably 2010, okay. 2011 maybe kind of lost track so you're but, going back and forth so yeah. you go to Haiti you you really experience kind of the broken system yeah um and the reality of the broken system mm-hmm. and then you come back and obviously you're you know you obviously have a family where I think there's a I think it's so interesting the work that you've done in Haiti and what you've done in adopting like families to stay together and like sibling groups to stay together. I think that's very intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, so then at what point, and then what happened? So you were going back and forth and then. Yeah. I just kind of started praying again about, okay, there's gotta be some way to kind of help keep these families together. Um, so I came home and I just started brainstorming a few ideas and, um, I knew that there had been some projects, you know, making stuff in Haiti too. So I thought, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe we could make stuff too. I, I really didn't know, but I was, I was such a tomboy, right? Like I don't wear jewelry and if I need a bag to go to the pool, I'm probably just going to grab a yellow Freshco bag. Like I'm not going to have a leather tote or a waxed canvas bag or anything, you know, like. So it was kind of funny, like, that <laughs> I would think of designing things. Um, so, actually, this is so great. I'm going to dig into this here for a minute. Because <laughs> I think it goes back to, like, you. it's just like, well, I just did this, right? But it's like, that's not normal. First of all, <laughs> you don't really, like, you know, wear. I remember you telling me, I didn't really wear jewelry before this, right? Yeah. And it's like, you didn't have all these things. So, at what point... Were you like, I have no experience in this. I have no experience making anything. And I think it, it could be something I could do. Like. You know what? I just, um, I think when I want to do something, I just get, I, I just persevere and I learn it. Um, and that's. <laughs> When we lived on when we lived on fifty acres, this is a funny story. When we lived on fifty acres, we had this guy who hunted on our property, and um, he hunted deer. Okay. And his family never liked eating the deer, so he offered it to our family. Okay. He would go hunt, but then he would just leave the deer. And so he hung the deer in our shed. Oh no! And he was gone for a couple of days, and and then I was just like. Ugh. 
you know what? Why does it need to come back? Like, I'm sure I can figure out how to, like, <laughs> carve this deer up. <laughs> I literally Googled how to, like, you know, take the meat off a deer. And I went out, and Greg came home. My husband came home from work, and I'm in the van going, hey, look, I oh. found a tenderloin, you know? Oh and he's like, goodness. oh, my gosh. You know, so I don't know. I guess it's just the way God has wired my brain. It's like if I want to do something, I will learn how to do something. Um, I might not always learn how to perfect it. Yeah. Okay. You know, like, but it's like, I'll learn how to do it. And I think that's what excited me about the process of little by little is I started learning how to do things and then I would get to teach them to the women mm. and then they would perfect it. This is so good. But I wouldn't really have to perfect it. Um, I just learn how to do it. But then they kind of would take the time to to perfect it. That's so good. Because it's like, I think people often get stopped in, I don't know how to do it all. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing is like, you figure out the first two, three, four steps. It's like, here's the first two, three, four steps. And then when that, those steps are done, Mm -hmm. then you have whoever next has either been trained to do those first three steps and then continue. Right. And I think some people get really stopped. I think most people get really stopped. Like, I don't know the entire process. Mm-hmm. So if you were, so, so you're like, okay, maybe I'll make, was it like, you're like, I'm going to make jewelry. Like, what was the first thing that you're like, you know what, maybe I'll do this. Um, yeah. So jewelry was the first thing. And I remember I went down with a design for bracelet and I ended up having to change the whole thing because what I thought was easy was not easy for them. Mm. And so I ended up having to change it to something that was simple and used braiding or that they could do. Okay. Um, so that was interesting. I had to totally change what, you know, what I thought was easy. And you changed it when you were down there. Yeah. Wow. eh? Yeah. So I had to. Okay. So actually, so you had the idea. You're mm-hmm. like, I'm going to make bracelets. So you go down to Haiti. And then did you have somebody, like, how did you know what women you were going to work with? Like, how did that get created? Well, the um, the young man that I walked down the aisle. Yeah. Um, so he was uh, very instrumental in helping me get started, of course. Um, yeah. So he was kind of my unofficial manager. And his wife uh, kind of acted as one of our teachers, too, because she did embroidery. Mm. Okay. So she taught embroidery for us. And so the original people that we worked with came from the orphanage. So they came as referrals, as women who were trying to give their kids up. So I connected with the orphanage because they had a okay. program called Starfish Program. Okay. So, um, so they would take the names down of women who were trying to give their kids up and then they would come into a program for like emergency food and stuff like that so then we would hire out of that program oh interesting i didn't know that yeah so these women had gone to the orphanage and pretty much said i can't afford to keep my child anymore right but the orphanage was no longer taking children okay so and that would have been like a pretty that like, was, were they one of the first orphanages to stop kind of that practice of, and then be more focused on employing and keeping the families together, or? 
Um, in Haiti, probably like it's just that the orphanage was full, really. Like, oh, so they couldn't take anymore. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the the starfish program that did like emergency solutions. Yeah. So mothers. it was that they would get like a pack of food and healthcare. Uh, okay. And, yeah. Okay. So you so you connected with the orphanage. You had your adopted son's um wife mm-hmm. teach. So you go down there. You had your idea of the bracelets. Yeah, this, and how big was the group of women? Uh, beginning, it was just four women. Okay. Yeah. So the, And that was the first trip? Yep. And did they make all the bracelets? How long were you down there? Uh, probably a week to ten days. And how many bracelets were you able to make in that time oh period? Oh, gosh, I don't remember. Like, like 100, 200, 1,000? <laughs> oh, probably more like a hundred. Okay. Yeah. So you came back after the week. Yeah. And then what did you do? Um, then we just started doing like local markets and festivals. I got a little table at the Western Fair Farmers Market. Mm. And uh, and so yeah. what was your so I, like? Let's paint the day. So you go and you're it's your first. What? So you come back with the bracelets. Then mm. you're like, okay, now I need to sell these. Yeah. Because. Because you say it so, like, and then I did this. And I, I really want to be like, that's not normal. So let's, yeah. like, okay, so you come back with the bracelets, and you're like, okay, now I need to sell these. And then what did you do when you were like, now I need to sell these? Do you just go Google, like, you know, places, or what, you, what, what was it? I'm not even sure how I found out about the Western Fair Farmer's Market. Um, but it came up somehow. And then people were saying that was a great place and it was totally affordable. Mm. So that was kind of the first stop. And it was a great place for us. Like, it's just such yeah, a good... Yeah, you're still there. We're still there. Yeah. And we have a full-size booth now. Um, it's a great community. Everybody was super supportive of what we were doing. Um, I just started talking to everybody um, about what we were doing. And... And did you bring back more goods from Haiti to sell at the same time? Because you had the women make the bracelets. And I had ornaments and as you well. Had ornaments. Okay. Because mm-hmm. it was this closer to Christmas time? Yeah. And then we had, um, yeah, we did some Christmas shows. Okay. Like the London Christian Academy. Yeah, the Christmas shows were kind of our first. Okay. Yeah. And so that first day of like being at, like having your table, mm-hmm. selling, like, what was that experience like for you? So you've done all this behind-the-scenes work. You go to Haiti. Yeah. You teach the women. You spend a week down there. And then for that week, did you pay – were the women paid for each piece they made? Or how did that work out? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you, you like, made a tangible difference with, like, those four women there mm-hmm. and the children and their children. Then you come back and you sell mm-hmm. it. And you're and so like at the end of the first day, do you remember? It was like, was there anything that crossed your mind? Like, it worked. It didn't work. Like, no, it was exciting because people kind of loved the product. They loved the ornaments. Mm. Um, though the, our first bracelet was like our triple wrap bracelet. Yeah. So and people really loved them. They were really popular. Um, so it was just exciting and encouraging, actually. So and I think when something goes, of course. Yeah. Then you get jazzed. Right. That. And yeah. you're like, oh, this actually is going to work. Yeah. I guess I'm an artist. <laughs> so, 
Yes, and I discovered that I actually could design things. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, you design beautiful pieces. Yeah, which is so funny given that you've had no experience in design. I know either. it is really funny. <laughs> like, like it really is incredible. Okay, so you started that. You did your kind of first Christmas season, mm-hmm. and then, and then at what point were you like, I'm gonna make this a focus of mine, and like. A full-time focus, because not, not only did you, because you weren't homeschooling your kids now anymore, or were you? Um, oh boy, I have to think back. Because this is what, 2012? No, I was not homeschooling my kids at that time. There was a time period where I did bring them home for almost two years, when I was doing Little by Little as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I don't remember dates. Uh-huh. It was just nece- it was necessary because we had some learning disabilities and stuff. Um, but I don't remember. What the- I think my husband was on parental leave as well at that time because we had adopted more kids. Right. Yeah. Okay. So so you adopted your your uh, the other set of three siblings. Right. Who um, had their own challenges mm-hmm. in their like background they came from. And so you have six children, like six children, mm-hmm. all under the age of, like, let's actually go through this. It's like, you have four boys who are what, like four years apart or something? They're extremely, they're extremely close. Yeah. 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah. So currently yeah. right now they're 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah. Five years ago, that would have been... Five, ten, five, five, five six, six, seven, seven eight. eight. <laughs> yeah. Five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you, like, when did it occur to you, like, okay, we're going to make Little by Little an actual thing. I'm mm-hmm. going to put time into it. Like, at what point after doing that Christmas season were you like, okay, this is going to become a thing? Um, I think because it just, it worked, it was apparent to me that it could work well. And then I had met with different people in Haiti that were doing kind of business as mission type of things. Mm-hmm. And um, like I talked to Shelly who runs Papillon in Haiti and, you know, I was just like, oh, I just want to do this small little thing. And and uh, she said, it doesn't have to be small. Like mm-hmm. people want to buy stuff, you know, that make a difference. And, yeah. And, you know, I'm like, yeah. I, I, you know what, I never really intended for it to grow the way it did grow, but then when I saw how it was affecting the difference it could make in Haiti, it's almost like, how could I not let it? Yeah, you know, when the, the impact So what, is what there. have you noticed is the impact? Um, well, when people are purchasing land and building their own homes and sending their kids to school... And not only being able to care for their own kids, but also now their parents are living with them, their aging mm. parents or their aging grandparents. Um, like, that's huge in Haiti because that usually doesn't happen, that they can even take care of their own kids, let alone their aging parents. Yeah. Um, the elderly are often left on their own mm. in Haiti. Really? Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a big deal that they're able to to do that. I was talking about it with um, Dana, who runs Titanet Syria, and we were mm-hmm. talking about, because the difference between motivation and something that actually is lasting. And for her, 
it was a sense of responsibility. Because I think motivation, like, comes and goes. Like, you have a good day, you have a bad day. Especially with everything you have going on. Like, with right. your, your family. It's like, would you say, for you, what's the thing that that keeps the that keeps you going? Like, what's that? Like, is it the sense of responsibility for really creating that impact? And once you see the difference it makes. Like, you go down mm-hmm. to Haiti, and it's like, now these women, like... I remember one of the stories is like she got what was it new teeth yeah yeah so yeah she was uh I was just talking to her one day and something was different and I couldn't figure out what it was and I just kept looking at her and I was like oh you got teeth (laughs) it was just like because she had already bought land she had already built her home you know now she could invest in herself and and her own dignity you know like and Mm. get those front teeth that she hadn't had for years so it's a pretty amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a beautiful story. Yeah. And so it really seems like, because I think I do and a lot of people do get really excited about something. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to make this difference and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, you get knocked down once, you get knocked down twice, you get knocked down three times, and eventually it's like, whatever. It's not like it wasn't meant to happen or it's more challenging than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, even with faith or not faith. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. regardless, mm-hmm. whether you feel like God's called you or whatever it is, like, I think, so for you, what would you say is the thing that, like, is it that responsibility once you see the change? It's, like, that pushes you through, or what is it for you? Um, you know what? It, for me, it, it is my faith that, pushes me through currently um because again like you said we do have good days and bad days um but right now this is this is where I feel like I'm called to be um and until something else you know kind of shows me differently then I feel it is my responsibility Mm. right to to continue on or or to make a way for something else to happen, or um, yeah, because yeah. you have a very deep level of certainty. Yeah. And I was just thinking, I think with the level of certainty that you have and the faith mm-hmm. that you have, mm-hmm. I think regardless of what happens, I think you've dealt with a lot. Like it's mm-hmm. not even like, oh, this isn't working out or whatever. It's like there's actual been chat like challenges that most people I think even would be like we really need to kind of stop and pause for a moment or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and having that continue and like (laughs) yeah it's it's been really incredible so if you see so growing the business I'm gonna do a couple quick points you don't have to answer quick but like a couple quick points so what I'm hearing is like your faith level of certainty and responsibility for um, for where you're at mm-hmm. and um, and the impact and the difference it's making. Um, and then you've never run a business or done anything like this before. No. So if somebody were to come to you and say, Isabel, I really feel let's let's use this. So Isabel, I really feel like I've been called or it's my responsibility to really make a difference for people who are like women who are trafficked in Ontario Mm -hmm. 
from the experience you've had in the last five to seven years, what are the three things that you would say to them? Like this has been, these are the three things that without this, I, like these are really critical. So that you've found um, in, in creating little by little and having it continue the way it has. What would you say? Um, first of all, it can't be about you. Mm. I think that's the biggest thing. And I think maybe that's where, uh, what, what probably stops a lot of, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. um, is their own insecurities or what if I fail or what if, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, focusing on, you know, how can I improve a situation for someone else or, you know, what could my impact be or how could I, mm. you know, share resources or, yeah. um, so it's, yeah, um, it's not about you. It's about others. Do you see that often? Um, that like some, and like people you've talked with that sometimes people get really focused on themselves. I see it very often. And I think that's probably a cause for a lot of, you know, when people kind of go into, uh, missions and or go to another country start a project and it's just like crash and burn Mm. um they're not looking out enough Mm. um and it may be not intentional at all yeah um yeah like it's, it's just not about you like even with fostering and adopting you know i think a lot of what we learned in that too is that it's not about us like our even our kids behavior their outbursts you know they come from trauma um even if they say you're not my real mom you know i hate you or Mm -hmm. you know like they're in the middle of a rage um it doesn't matter what they say Mm. it's it's not about me like i can't let myself take those things personally because if i do i can't love them the way they need to be loved Mm. so like that's key in going into kind of a social entrepreneurship or, you know, an outreach like that. Is it, you've got to really figure out why you're doing it. Yeah. And if it's to fulfill something in yourself, you need to really examine that. Mm-hmm. Because often, if it is, it's not going to get filled because it's really hard. And if anything, it's going to take from you instead of fill you Mm. so and is that why you feel so many because you got burnt out like how many years into little by little um i would say it was two years ago i felt like i really crashed yeah and do you feel like that's often I think, and we've, you and I have talked about this in fostering and adopting, mm-hmm. and I think it's so. I think it's also very applicable to anything you do for social, mm-hmm. social cause. Mm-hmm. Is like you do it from a really good heart and wanting to really contribute and make a difference. Yeah. But I think you're right. Is like if you really need to consistently reexamine your intention. Yeah. Because, um, because it's it's exhausting mm-hmm. quite frankly probably the majority of the time right and if somewhere somewhere in there you're, a piece of that intention is to like you know make yourself feel good about the difference you're making 
but you you know, at some point you're like, I'm making no difference or like nothing's working out or like whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that's where it's easy to be like, never mind. I wasn't meant to do this anyways. Yeah. I think that's where it's easy to become disillusioned. Mm-hmm. Is really and I and going back to failure, I think that's really I think that's probably why you're okay with failure, quote unquote failure, is failure is a tendency to look in on, like is focused on yourself, like oh this didn't work out and oh I feel bad about it or oh I look bad or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're like focused outward on other people, I don't think you can actually have failure in that perspective. Yeah. It just didn't work, or it didn't work as well as you wanted it to. Right. But I think that's probably a piece of, like, where there's a fear of failures where it's, like, focused inwardly. Mm-hmm. I think that's really actually interesting to kind of complete that conversation at the very beginning of the yeah. podcast. Okay. So not be focused on yourself um, and be focused on others, the people that you're actually making a difference with, and consistently reevaluating. So do you have a practice of, like, reevaluating it? Like, are there, feel, are there, like, times that something comes up or, like, how you're feeling and you're like, you know what, I really need to kind of sit down and kind of reevaluate, like, where I'm at? Or, like, do you have a practice for that? Um, not a distinct practice for that, no. Um, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Is there is there time? I think it's just it's just something that's always in my mind, right? Mm. I think it's just kind of how I live my life, in a sense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that would be the first one, and then is there anything else? If somebody were to come to you and say, because five years for like an organization that you created is actually a long time, mm-hmm. so is there? something else you put into place or like something else that you find really beneficial to actually have it continue I think what I said originally in this in the startup about your intentions is great for the startup but then when you're when you're in a country like Haiti and you're kind of building um, a business as a mission then you transition right because the building of something in a place like Haiti is very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you have to just, you have to have a certain mindset, Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, but then once you're kind of established, it's more changing the mindset from there to, okay, now we're equal partners in this together, mm-hmm. you know, into more of the business mindset with the people you're working at because you don't want it to be a charity right it's not a charity so and that's part of the problem with Haiti too is that um it's been really crippled by aid so that's something we've really had to work through with the people we work with and I'd say it's taken a good three years Mm. you know and that's and a lot of and I've seen a lot of people leave before that three years because they've just got frustrated with that process of what else do you have for me Mm. or what you've given me is not enough we need more you know, because the country has been so used to receiving aid, whereas we've had to work through that, you know, and we have worked through, you know, I've had had some of the people I work with talk to me like that, like, mm-hmm. that's not enough work for me. You you need to give me more, uh-huh. like it's an expectation, right? So again, for some people, they'd be very offended by that, yeah. right? 
because some people would expect an attitude of gratitude. Wait a minute. I just gave you, you know, a lot of work, you know, and you've just like, you know. So that's kind of what, you know, and so instead of having that attitude of being like offended by that, it's the opportunity to kind of, you know, teach, no, this is, we're in a partnership now, you know, we need each other for this to work, Mm. you know, and um, just kind of teaching them that, you know, this is more of a business partnership now and we're both in this together. And And do you see a difference in how, like, it makes on, like, their, themselves when it comes from a partnership perspective as opposed to, like, an aid perspective? Oh, it's totally switched over now. Like, now that, you know, now we're at five years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Again, it's taken a long time. Um, when I'm down there and if someone does have an emergency situation or does need extra money, they will actually come up to me and say, do you have any extra work for me? Cause my aunt is in the hospital. Mm. They won't ask me for money. Whereas before they would talk to me like it's an expectation almost, right? Oh, wow. Like, um, that I was supposed to give them more work or Yeah. Whereas now they'll, they'll ask for more work. If they need more money for something, they'll just ask and say, do you have any extra work? And do you see that that has an impact on their, on their self, like on the perspective of themselves as opposed to like, what's that like? Absolutely. And a story, um, along those lines is one of our, one of our teachers, our macrame teachers, um, he, who's also one of our employees too he had built his home purchased his land built his home but his home was not yet painted mm-hmm. and so a mission mission team came through the village mm-hmm. and asked him if they were kind of looking for work to do mm-hmm. and so they asked him if they could paint his house and he looked at them and he just said no I worked hard for my house why would I let you paint my house and take a picture in front of it like I'm your charity Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was very proud of, like, what he Mm -hmm. had built with his own money. And he knew that if they had painted his house, they would have done the old selfie in front of the house. Look at this Mm. poor Haitian we just helped, you know. And and he would have none of that because he had worked hard for what he had. Mm. Yeah, that's from the dignity. Yep. Is, I think... That, like the basis of little by little is really providing that dignity to people, mm-hmm. right? Keeping families together and providing dignity while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I love that. Is there anything else that you would say to somebody who's like, I want to start this? Just be prepared that it's like, it's not easy, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because we have so much in our country and I feel like people want to buy things that give back mm-hmm. uh, and things that that just have a purpose um, and a meaning uh, but it is hard you know to yeah. do it um, yeah underscore hard it like. is hard to do it <laughs> Yeah, you can't even dig into it in, like, any sort of, like, podcast, like, yeah. the amount of difficulty. Right. Um, but it, it's it's worth it uh, for their sake, right? And and for our sake, too, in, in the sense that 
we've grown so much just in our knowledge and and what we've learned and what we've been able to share with so many other people in how to do missions how to see missions differently and how to do missions differently and and the damage that aid can do and um, it's been so much more than just selling goods you know like Mm -hmm. we've done a ton of education as well so yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, a huge amount of impact. Um, oh, I think we dug into some really good. I think we really dug. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it's just been so incredible, kind of mm-hmm. like sitting, like watching the progression in like the last like three or four years, and for like for me seeing you like continue and really like having a firsthand seat at the difficulty of running something like little by little and like the challenges that come and then seeing you continue like to persevere Mm -hmm. when you have all the reasons for why right Mm -hmm. like you know I think a quarter of the reasons most people would be like whatever I don't need to deal with this right (laughs) um and so you really for me are like a true inspiration of like somebody who's just like consistently like has that responsibility and has a faith in a certainty of what they're doing mm-hmm. and just continues and like finds a way eventually mm-hmm. like one way <laughs> or the other right um makes a way <laughs> <laughs> i can't find a way i'll dig away like, yeah. <laughs> um and uh yeah and i just it's it really is i don't even want to use the word inspiration because i think that's like almost too glib but there's a certain level of grounding for me, actually. Mm-hmm. Like when I see what you created and done in little by little. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, yeah, it has a special place in my heart. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for doing the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> so folks, that was the episode with Isabel. She really is such a special and incredible woman. And every time I sit down with her, I get something new from what she shares with me. So I hope you are inspired and really touched in your soul today to go and create something, create something that you've been thinking of and haven't done yet. So comment on the social medias below. I would love to be able to talk with you, hear what you got out of this episode. And until next time, go have an incredible day.